actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. And one way a lot of people settle for less is in their jobs, in their careers. I've seen some conflicting numbers around what percentage of people are satisfied with their jobs, but all of them have shown that there is a majority of people here that are disengaged, dissatisfied in some sort of way. And it would be great to find a way to, I guess, better place people at the right job. And that involves kind of a little bit of effort on both sides, because I think the process has gotten a little bit frustrating, both from the standpoint of the job seeker, as well as from the organizations trying to build a team. And in our personal transformation journeys that we're all on, or hopefully you're on based on listening to this podcast, there's going to be some of you all that are looking for a new job and some of you all that are building an organization and building an organization involves hiring and bringing in the right team. So my guest today, Tanya Martinez, is the founder of Career Transformations, and she has her her foot in both sides of this. She helps both the organizations find the right people as well as people looking for a job and people looking in career transformation. So she should have a lot of really good insights to say about this whole process from both ends. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stefan, for having me. Thank you for joining us today. And let's begin with the career transformations, like your personal story. You know, What prompted you to start this organization and what were your experiences and all that? Sure. So my background is 22 years of HR and primarily focused most of those years in the talent acquisition space. So recruiting for organizations here in Colorado, in HR, you wear a lot of hats. So I've helped, you know, designing, onboarding and orientation programs, as well as help train managers on how do we interview? You know, how do we bring the right talent and having a consistent process, I think has been a lot of focus throughout my career. So my passion is definitely helping people find jobs that they're happy with, that they're passionate about, and will go back, you know, the next day and also helping clients find the right fit for the organization. So they avoid turnover. There's kind of a concern in the hiring process on both ends, the organization wanting to have the person that's going to really love the job and the person really wanting to have the organization that's going to love them back or or the the job that's the right fit. What do you think is the factor right now that is contributing to why we see so many people in the wrong job or so many people, like I think I covered in a previous podcast episode, this idea that our entire culture is based around people dreading work. The whole, I have a case of the Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, happy hour on Fridays is all based on the idea that Monday is something to be dreaded as opposed to something that's joyous or happier. Sure. I think it's twofold and maybe threefold. You know, there's definitely a level of digging and finding out, you know, deep in your heart and your soul of what you want to do, what you want to be when you grow up. I think a lot of times people are pressed for finding a position because they're financially strapped or because they were laid off on the fly or because for whatever reason, there's lots of reasons that you would jump into another position and, and not do your homework sometimes, you know, really putting time in to learn about the company and the culture and the leadership team and the compensation and everything you can. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And if you don't put that time in, you're going to oftentimes, I would say, make the wrong decision. Mm. And going with your gut is not always the right thing to do. I mean, yes, it serves some people well, but I would say really 
digging deep to find out what you really want to do. Who do you want to work for? You know, what does that culture and environment look like? And then on the flip side of, you know, the corporation side, I've been in the position too many times where we've mishired. And oftentimes I can reflect and find out the reasons pretty quickly. You know, a lot of times we're hiring quickly as well from a corporate perspective. And we may not have trained our managers the way they should have been trained. Maybe we didn't have a process. Maybe leadership didn't want a process. They just wanted to interview with their gut. And so I think when a lot of times, you know, you don't do that preparation and also do your homework just the same as a candidate would do on you, you fail, you know, you miss hire, you go with your gut, or sometimes you have too many people involved, too many hands in the pot that have a say in it. And so there's a lot of factors on both sides. I hope that helps. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And let's begin from the job seeker side, since that's a little bit, a little bit less complex, given that. Theoretically, the person looking for a job or looking to change jobs is completely in control. There's not other people's input. Of course, we all know examples of overbearing parents, et cetera. But let's just say, for example, it's just one person and they're just looking for what job they want to apply for, what job they want to really kind of put some energy into. What should these people be doing? What is the homework that someone should be doing, whether they're starting a career or realizing I need to undergo a career transformation? I would say my number one tip would be if you don't have a career coach, leadership executive coach, that you get one. It's really important because you want to make the right decision. You want to go down the right path. And sometimes there's some work that needs to be done prior to figuring that out. And sometimes you don't even know. So getting with a coach will really help get you aligned to where you need to be. And, you know, they uncover so much and you learn so much about yourself through the process. So I would say that's my number one tip. And if you can't afford a coach, do your homework, get out there online, talk with people, do your networking, just do your research to learn more about what it is you want to do. What kind of company do you want to work for? What industry do you want to be in? What are you passionate about? You know, what are you good at? Like looking at all of those areas a little bit deeper and and maybe with um, a little more of a microscopic look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about what someone is passionate about. I know the start of that process for most people is you go to college and you pick a major. Do you think that there is somewhere that gets miscommunicated if someone's looking at, say, a list of majors and saying, oh, I kind of want to study this. I like this subject in school, in high school, middle school, whatever, versus figuring out what the passion is, what really drives you, what gets you out of bed saying, yes, I want to do this. You know, I think that's just learning. It just takes time. I mean, you could be in college as a young student and not really know and just pick a degree. You know, and that's not necessarily where you want to be. It's just what your dad did or your parents did or, you know, a friend did it. So you kind of just pick something, but mm-hmm. it's not really what you want. So I think you don't, I mean, you definitely need to have some experiences to kind of see different fields, different roles, different industries to figure out what you want to do and, and what you're passionate about and what kind of speaks to you. And that's a good kind of lesson in almost self-forgiveness because there's a lot of people who will go into a field and realize it's not for them and think, oh my God, I messed up. I screwed something up. I picked the wrong major. Now I got five years of experience in this field and I don't want to do this job function anymore and I have to go back to the drawing board. But that seems like somewhat you're saying more human and people should 
give themselves a little bit more grace for being in that position. Yeah, I, I think that happens often, unfortunately. Yeah, and then from the organizational side, of course, it gets a little bit more complex, but what does an organization need to do? Because I have personally been in situations and know a lot of other people who are in situations where the job posting doesn't match what they want, or you get there and it turns out what they want is something different. What does the organization need to do, given all the people involved, to make sure that the job posting, when they go into posting it, when they go into recruiting for it, when they go into interviewing people for the position, that they know what they want and they make a conscious decision? I think that that's where it starts. You know, a lot of companies don't do what I call a kickoff call or a kickoff meeting for an opening. Super critical because this gives you the opportunity to really bring all of the players that are going to be involved in this process that know what this role is about and knows what it takes to do this role effectively, sell the position. I think that you also have to have people not only that know about it, but that know also how to interview and that you want people involved that are going to sell the company and the culture, the position, everything, you know, so it's a lot. There are processes that companies can implement to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But I think that's a lot of times where organizations go wrong is that they're not on the same page. You know, I remember some organizations I've worked for in the past that, you know, we were having an interview at three o'clock and one manager got stuck in a meeting and he can't show up. So let's just grab Sally. Sally could jump in on the interview. Well, Sally's never interviewed before. She doesn't know anything about the position. She might be able to talk to culture a little bit, but she's not adequately equipped to be in an interview. (laughs) So it happens all too often. Yeah. So that would be my take is, is really getting a structured process that allows the company to be successful. And is this structured process as important in the case of say a simple replacement hire? I think we know the examples, oh, this person unexpectedly quit, but we were happy with that particular individual. And we just want someone that's going to be just like them to you know, get back to the work that we were doing before. And when that's the case, can someone bypass this process or do you think it still is important? Yeah, I think it's, if not more important, because obviously you went wrong the first time, not that that was a company's fault. It may have been just, you know, something happened in that person's life and they had to leave the organization. But either way, I think it's more important to really tune in and find out, you know, what went wrong? How can we change this going forward and, you know, prevent this from happening again? Actually, it sounds like, you know, on both sides of this entire hiring process, it requires a little bit more reflection than a lot of people that just kind of go right into it. In the case of the individual, you know, sometimes some coaching to ask some of those questions that you don't really want. One of the other questions that I'm wondering about from the organizational side is sometimes I've referred to building a team as kind of fitting together pieces of the puzzle because what you need sometimes depends on what you already have. How often do you see organizations take that into consideration? Say we have a lot of more passive people. We need someone that's a little bit more direct, or we have a lot of direct people. We don't need say four alphas in the room, just all these kind of examples of how someone could theoretically be a good fit for a position on paper. But when you look at how you're trying to build and round out a team, maybe you need a different personality type or someone that comes across a little bit different to complement the traits that you already have on that team. 
Yeah, I think it goes back to the kickoff call and really getting everybody on board and laying out what are those characteristics? You know, who is it that we need for this role? And that way, your recruiters or sourcers are fully equipped to go find this person and drill in, ask interview questions that are based around those characteristics and make sure that they're aligned to what the company is looking for. I think that's important, really important. It saves a lot of time, believe me. <laughs> yeah. So I also kind of want to cover a little bit about your personal story, career transformations. What prompted you to found your own organization as opposed to continuing to work with the other established structures that you were in before? Yeah. You know, I've always been in corporate America and I loved absolutely loved my career as an HR professional. It's equipped me for so many things that I'm currently experiencing as a business owner as I build career transformations. And what really prompted me to start my own business was to challenge myself for one, because I worked on the other side and worked with external recruiters and knew what their roles were and also knew, you know, the type of income that was, you know, potential for me. So that was another factor. And the third factor I would say is really recruiters are not generating revenue. So oftentimes they're the first to be cut when an organization goes through a restructure, merger and acquisition or a budget cut or whatever it may be. So I have been impacted, you know, because of that. So I didn't want that to happen again throughout my career because it's just not fun starting over, right? So that's kind of the third reason why. And when you decided to start Career Transformations to start on your own, what was going through your head and what were you hearing from some of the other people around you, whether it be the people you work with, the people in your personal network, people encourage you? Did they say anything interesting to you on your journey? Yeah, for sure. I, I have a, a lot of friends and colleagues that are recruiters. And at first it was like, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, I got a couple of those, but for the most a really supportive community, family, friends, and, you know, everybody has faith in me. I have faith in myself. I know I can do this. The only thing that I didn't really, I guess, foresee was that it would take so long. COVID, you know, add two and a half years or whatever time frame where we've been in COVID, you know, that impacts that for sure. Yeah. Because a lot of companies weren't hiring and were careful on their budgets to not really spend extra money hiring a recruiter to do their hiring. It takes a while to build a business. So I'm patient and I'm determined. So it will happen. It just might take a couple more years. <laughs> and in addition to COVID, which is interesting that you brought that up, one of the, the aftershocks of COVID kind of is great resignation that a lot of people's thoughts on how work is going to work in the future are kind of in flux. How do you see that impacting your line of business and how you approach your day to day? I see it more on the candidate side. You know, mm -hmm. I pipeline people all the time and I'm seeing a lot of people are looking for either hybrid or remote positions. And I see on the other side, clients that aren't willing to make roles, you know, and aren't able to transition roles from an in the office type of position to a remote or hybrid. So I think that there's going to be a lot of learning and adjusting in the future with organizations because this isn't going away anytime soon. And, you know, companies can't continue to operate the way they do. I think that there's going to have to be a lot of work in this area for sure on both, you know, candidates and clients. From the candidate side, I know there's like maybe it can be referred to to play devil's advocate as a newfound idealism that, you know, 
they may need an adjustment too to kind of find a place where everyone's needs are met. What needs do you see on the side of the organization as well as on the side of the candidate that everyone should kind of be thinking about, like, I need this, I need that type of thing? It's such a balance right now. I think that we've got so many issues, you know, at hand. I think hybrid schedules might be an option. Maybe organizations could look a little bit deeper into offering, if we have 50 people, maybe 10 come in one day and 10 come in the other day and just, you know, really trying to set up some success to be able to bring people back into the office. But, you know, there's daycare issues as well. You know, these daycares are closing down because kids are now contracting the virus. And so yet again, you know, parents, especially mothers have to come back to the home and take care of the kid. And then, you know, there's some single parents that, you know, do it all by themselves. So I think you've got a boatload of challenges. I was looking at all the things that happened during COVID, all the ways we adjust and some things are going to stay, some things are going to go away, even long after the threat of getting the virus goes away. One of my things that I'm most hopeful about, I guess, is this idea of still showing up when you're sick, kind of going away forever. COVID came, COVID is going to go at some point, or it's going to fade away into like what they call an endemic, but there's still colds, there's still flus, there's still all these things. And there's hope, I guess, on my part that we're recognizing that the idea of still showing up when you're sick is kind of a little bit counterproductive because then you get everyone else sick and that it'd be more accepted to say, okay, if you're sick, just stay home and don't get anyone else sick. And you're not even going to be that effective at your job anyway. Yeah. I wish that it were that easy. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. But I do feel that, you know, we all need to just be a little bit more understanding right now. And if there's plans that organizations could put in place to be a little bit more flexible, we need to try to get there. But I also get it from the corporate perspective that it's not always possible just due to, I guess, a lot of factors, really. I sometimes succumb to this idealism a little bit myself about our work culture, as well as other areas of life. And one of the things I heard about the great resignation is also that a lot of people saw COVID and they were like, there's more to life than being miserable at this job day in and day out. What do you think should be on the minds of people to have a balanced perspective on this and saying, yeah, you know, I want to do something else, but I also need to kind of work with the world as it is, as opposed to as my idealist brain wants it to be. Sure. I think that people really need to dig a little bit deeper into what they want to do, what they're good at, you know, where their talents best fit them and talk with others, really learn because it is important to be happy in what you do and where you go and who you work for. You know, right now, leadership, you know, is is important. Knowing the leaders of the organization, how they lead that organization, what their values are. and, And not only is it written etched in stone, if you will, but do they live by that? I think that's important. And as I talk to a lot of executive candidates right now, sourcing for a few different positions, I'm also learning that it's more important for them, maybe more important now than it was before. You know, they don't want to work 60, 70 hours a week anymore. I don't know why they did before, but, you know, now it's more important. Family's more important. You know, people lost a lot of people in their families and friends. And so life is just a little bit more delicate and important, I think, now than ever. You're talking about people who are looking for or transitioning into leadership positions. And what I'm wondering is, 
as someone who's never been really in a leadership position, what adjustments do you think people need to make if someone says, okay, leadership is what's calling me? I often say like people at the organization, the bottom levels, if you want to call it that, tend to be the ones that build the things. And then you have the managers that build like the workflows. And then you have the leaders that build people. And someone might be saying, okay, I'm more into building people. What mindset, what approach do you think people who want to emerge and become a leader need to kind of take? Yeah, good question. I think having a mentor internally at the organization, you know, if you're still with an organization and talking with that person, you know, scheduling lunch, you know, trying to get kind of on their radar to pick their brain, right, about management, about leadership and and learn, am I a fit for this? Is this what I really want? You know, again, going back to having a, a coach, you know, to really help steer you and, and help you identify, you know, is this a good fit for me? Exploring yourself and your options and, and doing maybe some assessments out there. There's a lot of different assessments that might help you. I don't use them personally because I'm not a career coach, but mm-hmm. I know that those are helpful, you know, for people to kind of dig a little bit deeper to find out, do I have what it takes? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the whole idea of like apprenticeship or kind of shadowing type of scenarios where people get to see what the job is, you know, like, I'm going to do this job or watch someone do this job for a week and decide, do I see myself doing this for another five, 10 years, however long we expect our current roles to go these days? Sure. No, I think hands down, that's the best way to go. If you can do that, um, apprenticeship, internship, you know, shadowing, whatever it may be. If you have an opportunity to peek into what it's like day to day to sit at this desk or go out in the field and and work this role, you know, I think that's important if you can do that. And even, you know, if you're interviewing for a position, I would say before you even apply to that position, do that. Make sure you talk with people to understand what it's all about, what it takes, and, and see if you have it. So one other thing I'm wondering about, so you've done a lot of recruiting, you're kind of transitioning to some placement stuff, some career transformation. What do you think is the impact that you're trying to have? Like what drives you to start your business, expand your business and kind of work within your community? Yes. I guess I just want to reiterate that recruiting is one source of the business, right? That's one side of it. And then outsourcing is the other side of it. So to me, it's onboarding and offboarding. So how you're hiring and how you're letting go because offboarding is just as important, if not more important, because Mm. sometimes you're forced to offboard individuals through layoffs, mergers and acquisitions, whatever it may be, but you may not have necessarily wanted to let go of that person. So knowing that you could have that person back at a different time is, you know, a good option. But also I like the part of, of helping people hire better, smarter, and then offboard better and smarter. I think it's equally as important. You do, you know, want to protect your brand and you want to sell your brand. So I really like the idea of being a firm that can help onboard and offboard, both very critical in the hiring process and, and exiting process. Offboarding oftentimes gets a little bit less attention because people just think, okay, I have this job, I'm done. First thing is, oh God, I got to like go back and search for a new job and things like that. What is the biggest danger 
in, say, a poorly executed offboarding process or someone that has a process that's just not very done well? Yeah, your brand is at risk. You know, the culture, everything you worked so hard to build is at risk because you laid a person off or you fired a person. I think that companies should have a process in place that, I mean, I know that HR is not always the place that someone wants to go. And if they're not comfortable going to HR, that's a problem. You want people to be comfortable and trust HR. So that way, when there is a problem, that's the first person they're going to. And, you know, that HR person will then take it up and make change, right? You have to have that kind of team in place and that kind of communication. So I think having those processes along the way from hiring to firing or laying off is important. It takes a little bit of time to build, but I'll tell you what, when you have that process in place, people will give you the data you need. And then that's going to equip you to make change in the organization. You'll learn a lot about what people want, what they're not happy with, you know, why are they leaving? What can we do to change that? You'll uncover problems that you didn't even know you had. So if someone has a bad offboarding process, they can easily have their brand tarnished by people who say someone's laid off and they just have like, you know, the bad things to say about the company on, you know, Glassdoor and some of those other algorithms. What about the process where you're laying someone off because they were not a good employee? Is there a necessity for a tactful way to do that? I think regardless of how the employee is exited from the organization, if they're leaving on their own terms because they found a, a different opportunity, you still want to gather that data of why they left, you know. But on the flip side of that, when you have to let someone go, I think it's so important to provide some type of package because you do want them to leave on a good note. And if you say, hey, we're sorry, you know, it had to end this way. If you're eligible for severance check, here's your check. But in addition, let us help you land on your feet you know, through a career coach, help you get your resume updated. You know, that person may need some coaching that you never provided as their employer. They may need some guidance. And if you could change the way you've hired or you fired in the past and really give them a different experience to leaving the organization, they're less likely to go on the glass door wherever and post bad comments about the manager, the HR, the leadership team, the company, you know, they're more than likely to go on and say, oh my gosh, I got let go, but this company did this for me. They gave me this and my goodness, you know, they'll be thankful. Well, a couple other things I'm wondering about this offboarding process. Toward the beginning, you talked about possibly getting the employees back. And what I'm wondering is, you know, especially certain times when certain budget restraints cause you to lay off people you didn't want to lay off. How often does that actually occur? Because my impression has always been that if you lay someone off, if they were a good employee, they're probably gone to someone else within a couple months. It depends on a lot of things, but the relationship, right, that they had, the experience that they had, I think that hands down will bring someone back if it was all positive. And maybe they went somewhere where they're not so happy, or maybe they had to leave or got laid off or something. You know, they had some change that um, put them back on the market. But you can also source that talent as you open up a position later down the road and, and just reach out to those people. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think if they had a good experience, they'll come back. If they didn't, they're probably not coming back. And then the other thing I'm wondering about offboarding is you talked about collecting data. And one of the things I'm wondering is, how often is the case that 
this offboarding data is usable to identify a problematic manager. Say there's a manager who loses a lot of employees because this particular individual has some form of bad behavior or they really piss people off and no one likes working for them. Does that data ever get used to eliminate that manager or that particular person? It does. It's very important that collecting this data gets that data up to leadership. If they don't, then they're not doing a good job. Then I think that, you know, that kind of information is critical to an organization, especially if they're realizing we're losing a lot of people and we don't know why. If you're not looking at that data closely and figuring out with the leadership team and potentially manager team, like, what's the problem here? Are we getting bad feedback on a certain manager? And if we are, Let's look at that manager's performance. Let's evaluate what needs to happen with this manager. Do they need a coach themselves? Do they need some help to become a better manager and save this organization from losing people? Or do we need to let go of that manager? I think is also a question that you sometimes don't want to know, especially if they're good in performance. They do a good job. They know the industry. They're great at, you know, la la la. When you have that problem, it's definitely challenging. But most importantly, your brand is at risk if you keep that person on board. Because enough people will go onto the glass door or whichever and say like, this is not a good place to work. What I'm wondering is, These processes, the intentional hiring, the intentional offboarding, if someone's starting an organization now or someone's starting to think about scaling up and only has a couple employees or it's only a few people working together, at what stage during that development process would someone want to be thinking about these processes and how they want to go about doing this hiring and offboarding? Oh, right away. It's so much easier when you have little to work with, to put together a process that sticks and that everybody believes in and everybody's kind of on the same page. I think it's so much easier to start it when you're small and then continue to build and grow, you know, as, as you get bigger. Mm. And I'm also wondering, because one of the things that I've observed over the course of my lifetime is that the world is moving faster. People need to update skills faster and People often say 50 years ago, someone would oftentimes get a job and stay at that same organization for their entire 50-year career, You know, move up the ranks, get their whatever golden watch at the end. And now it's a lot more common. I think the average length of time someone's at a particular job is down to a little bit over four years. So as we move into this world where people are moving in and out, what can we all be doing or anticipating to make this process a lot more seamless. So you think the idea, if someone's looking to hire, that this person's going to be at your organization for 15, 20 years is something that people need to kind of get out of their head a little bit more? Or is there another way we can kind of make the process of switching jobs, switching tracks, switching roles a little bit more seamless? Yeah. I don't know that that will. I mean, there's some organizations that don't really care, some individuals that want, you know, 10 years plus at an organization. So I think it just depends on the individuals and the goals of the company. But I think it's so important to hear the story of someone that might have, you know, a job hopping, I guess, resume, right? Where they've bounced a little bit more than someone may have wanted. But I think it's important to understand their story and why they made those shifts. Sometimes it's out of their hands. And if your performance is well, and you can tell that story and someone will listen, 
you know, you may have yourself a great candidate and you just don't know it because you're just looking at, you know, their tenure, but. Yeah, that's a tough thing. And I like to think that the right organization will find the right person if people are open to it. One of the other aspects of this whole system that can be frustrating sometimes is just the amount of noise from the, you post a job, you'll get hundreds of applications. Some of them will be quote unquote spam, or some of them will be people who have no business applying. And you want to find a way to narrow it down in an intelligent way to consider all these people that may have a, whether it be job hopping or some other type of aspect of their resume that's traditionally a red flag without having to actually dig down and look through all, say, 500 particular you know applications that are out there. And the same thing goes on the job seeker side that there's so many organizations to work for. How do you, how do you pick what you want to apply for? Do you see people developing better systems to kind of narrow that down in an intelligent way? Or because my impression is that right now in most software cases, it's primarily keywords. Yeah, I think like from a recruiter's perspective, keywords are important, especially when you're sourcing, say on LinkedIn or whatever job board, those keywords are important to kind of narrow down to the person that has what you're looking for. But, you know, you can't do that from like a, you know, personality or or characteristics point of view, right? It's mostly based on skills and experience um, when you're sourcing that way. It's not until you talk to the person to learn those other pieces. So yeah, I think that keywords are important. And I mean, from the resume, I mean, you definitely want to be short and sweet, but still tell a story. So very strategically written is key. Um, It takes a lot of time to, to do that. But when you can sell yourself in a very professional and strategic manner, I think you're more likely to, to be selected versus having, you know, paragraphs of information that someone has to read through because recruiters, you know, they just don't a lot of times have the time to read through all of that information. And they kind of go to sleep when they're reading. (laughs) (laughs) We don't always have the time that we want to, you know, read through a book. (laughs) Yeah. The TLDR is a acronym for a reason. There's tons of situations where people are TLDRing. And so now with your business journey, what kind of organizations are you working with uh, most frequently? Sure. You know, I've always been very industry agnostic and I prefer it that way because, you know, throughout my 22 years, I have worked in a handful of different organizations and I love the variety I always want to be able to work on a position in an industry that I know nothing about because it challenges me and it keeps me interested in what I'm doing and growing. Mm-hmm. So I never want to stop you know, working in whatever industry I can. I'm open to all. And as far as positions, you know, this year, I've really kind of transitioned more into the executive space. So I'm currently starting to work on positions that are manager, director, senior CFO, vice president, and and hope to stay in that space going forward. It's where I'm comfortable. It's, I think, where I'm good at. It's it's kind of where I excel as well. So, and I'm, I'm good at, you know, finding some good talent. And with that information, what I'm wondering is if anyone listening out there would want to get a hold of you, whether they are a candidate looking to move up into one of those executive positions, already in an executive position, right? Or if someone's building out their organization and they're getting some traction in the marketplace and wants to look at having the right hiring processes, procedures, and stuff like that, how would anyone listening best get a hold of you? 
Yes. So they could email me directly. And my email address is info at career transformations, denver.com, or they can go to my website, which is www.careertransformationsdenver.com and they could schedule time with me uh, through my Calendly link. Yeah. That is awesome. And then if anyone listening out there is kind of looking at careers in, in the HR, in the placement space, do you have any kind of random pieces of advice or tiblets to give to these particular listeners? I would say dig deep, you know, find out what you want to do. It's important to be happy, as we all know, and life is, it can be short, right? We're not promised tomorrow by any means. So I'd say just figure out what you want to do. Talk to people, you know, you don't have to pay someone hundreds of dollars to learn that. You can do it on your own. It just takes some time, right? Mm -hmm. But really figure out what, what you want to do and where you want to be and who you want to work for. It's all very important and worth the investment. Well, it sounds like it's worth the introspection, both from the perspective of those you all out there looking for jobs, as well as those of you all out there who are building your businesses and looking for, okay, who do we want to hire on? Who do I want to share my journey? Because in a way, when you bring someone on, if it's a standard full-time job or anything resembling that, you're sharing part of that journey and your success is a little bit tied to how successful these particular individuals are in the roles you place them in. So with that, Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes and giving us uh, your thoughts on how to build the right team, how to introspect, how to figure out what it is that you really want, as well as how to the other side that people oftentimes don't think about, which is what's the best way to terminate a relationship with someone in a way that's amiable and respectable for all parties involved. Yes. Thank you so much for having me as, as a guest. I appreciate the time and hopefully anyone feels, you know, that feels they'd like some help, they would reach out. Excellent. Your resources are there. They'll be also on the website and thank you to everyone out there listening. I would like to encourage you to just introspect on yourself. I think even if you're happy with where you are, even if you already made in your business, it's a good idea to introspect every once in a while and stay tuned or tune back into Actions Antidotes for more fascinating interviews with people who have built their own little empires or built a life, an impact that they really wanted to, went for it and made their mark upon the world. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 